significant other in the trunk or lock your dog in the trunk and see which one greets you better after three hours when you open the trunk. It just proves that dog is man's best friend. <laughs> oh, if dogs could drive. It's been a while since I've seen this since I've said the compass has caught an unnecessary nose. <laughs> Kevin, all of us are here today. I know. I'm so excited. All right. I know. It feels really good. Let's do this. No. I'll pass. <laughs> this is what we're doing. Three, two, one. I don't think we should be sitting together. No, we definitely should. I think we're should. dangerous in the mood we're in. <laughs> can I, can I, no. can I start the show now? Can you? Can, can I'm sort of asking there. You're the one with the buttons. Do you figure out if you can start the show? Oh, jeez. Hi, I'm John Wathy, and I took a left at the valley. I know we shouldn't have to scream that we're atheists. You know, we don't have non-astrologers and all that. But with the religious people taking over the world, I mean, we can either speak up or be pushed into a corner. I'm proud to be an atheist, a skeptic, a non-believer, an infidel, a heathen. I call it how I see it. I say it's ignorance and you just call it faith in unsubstantiated claims. That's something to be ashamed. I'm an atheist. Coming at you from some pentagram, this is Left of the Valley. My name is Kevin, and I tell you that marriage is a relationship in which one person is always right, and the other is the husband. <laughs> Joining me as usual is a team that realizes there is only one perfect child in the world, and every mom has it. She'll tell you that one kid makes you a parent, and two kids makes you a referee. Nancy. Oh, uh, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Goal, uh, foul. <laughs> Out of bounds. <laughs> and he'll say marriage is a give and take. You better give it to her or she'll take it anyway. Scott. 100% right. <laughs> a happy wife is a happy life. <laughs> she'll tell you ladies first, pretty ladies sooner. <laughs> Kirsten. <laughs> Christina, sorry. Oh, both at once. Yeah, one. <laughs> and she told me not to feel bad. A lot of people don't have any talent. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Kirsten nice. secretly hates me. Score. <laughs> Guys, welcome back. Full team. Hey, that's I awesome. I was really happy that we were all here. And now after that intro, we're leaving. <laughs> <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Come on, it's not that bad. It's not that bad. No, but close. And of course, we got to welcome back Scott, man. Welcome back, dude. Oh, Haven't seen yeah. you in a while. World traveling was fun, man. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Driving all the way to Ontario and back. <laughs> welcome back to the show. We miss you, bud. Driving down to Ontario was snowstorm the entire way. Seriously? Oh. Seriously. And oh. then and then I got to Toronto in time for the ice storm. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Are you happy to be back in BC? Uh, well, the whole way back, it was 22 and nice, good weather. <laughs> Maybe we should sunshine. start with that. You know, uh, t- today we'll be talking to uh, Ethan, uh, our friend Ethan Siegel, about the Big Bang. Uh-huh. But let's do our usual chit-chat, and let's go with Scott right away. Scott, tell us about your trip, man. Well, once upon a time. <laughs> In the beginning. In the beginning. Uh, no, it was, it was a really good trip. Uh, gas prices, I was surprised, were really high all the way across the country. Uh-huh. We are not the only ones paying high gas prices. I actually hit a spot in Northern Ontario that was paying higher prices than us. Seriously? Yikes. Yeah. Yeah, it was it was really scary. Why are they paying high prices? <laughs> I know why we're paying high prices. It's Ontario. No one knows. 
Well, what were the prices now that you talked about well, it? And the said cheapest, the cheapest place, uh, I couldn't believe it, Calgary was in the uh, $1.25 range when, when we went through. And this all is through, all through Alberta. And, this is on our way down. This yep. was on our way down. Yep. So we were at a buck forty-four nine, I think, when I left. And when I got to Alberta, it was a dollar twenty-five. Now, for American right? listeners, those are per liter, not per yeah. Gallon. This, this would be this would be in the five dollar five fifty a gallon right. range. Easily, right? easily. Now, just also for the audience, uh, Scott has left us uh, and went to all the way back east to New Brunswick, right? No, not this time. Oh, this time I, I just went to Ontario, Niagara oh. Falls, actually. Okay, so it was pretty much three quarters of the way yeah. across the country. Yeah, three quarters of the way across the country. Nice trip. It was a nice trip, and like I say, um, believe it or not, Saskatchewan had the cheapest gas prices. Huh. I, I don't know. They were about a buck to buck eleven on the way down. They were about a buck twenty-two on the way back. Because they filled up the wheat trashers, you know. And stuff <laughs> like that. Well, that was it. Yeah, it raised the price. Combines, you know. <laughs> and uh, it was really neat. I, we hit the border of Alberta. And there were two gas stations right together. And, and you got to, I don't know if you guys have ever traveled cross country like this. Mm-hmm. You're, you're going down the Trans-Canada and there'll be like a pull-off and you'll see a couple of gas stations on the pull-off. So you, you go to the first station and it was some name I've never heard of, like extra gas or something. And they were at, uh, they were 10 cents a liter than the Petrocan on the other side. So I, I do Petrocan because I get points and I, I have a, a gas card. So I was saving the 10 cents anyway. So I pull into Petrocan and I asked them, I said, why is the station across so cheap? And uh, the lady said they haven't filled their tanks yet because the gas went up in Alberta. And it, and it jumped by over 10 cents a liter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it was, it was, that was a nasty, that was a rude awakening. But the rest of the trip, I mean, you know, snow. I found out my car travels very nicely in snow. In April. <laughs> oh, Canada. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, I, found out that, uh, I found out that anything east of Manitoba in snow uh, uses sand. And for some reason, yep. everything west of Manitoba uses gravel. Hmm. Like Alberta, you wonder why they all have cracked windshields. It's not because they follow each other too close. They do not sift the sand before they put it on the road. Mm-hmm. They put rock down. That's insane. Huh. You know, you go to Ontario. Well, they do it here too in BC. I've I've actually had rocks fly from one side of the highway on the Coquihalla all the way across and watch it sail across and hit your windshield. You're traveling at 75, 80 mile an hour. There's nothing you can do. I mean, you just watch this rock go wang, crash. Um, you don't get that in Ontario. You can be following cars one car length behind at 85 miles an hour like you do in Toronto. <clears throat> And you don't get any cracked windshields because they use sand. <laughs> so what was what was one of the most fun things that you saw or did? Clifton Hill. Well, I, I'm from there. I'm from that area. So it, it was my uh, fiance's first. It was Annette's first time uh-huh. going there. And Niagara Falls. So we walked. We had a bed and breakfast uh, just north of the falls. And we walked everywhere in Niagara Falls, oh. including the big disappointment of the trip. The whole point of going down there was to get married. Hmm. And we're both divorcees. So we walked into City Hall in Niagara Falls. And the lady says, do you have all your paperwork there? Yep, we've got all our paperwork. And she said, let me see it. And she's looking at it and she disappears. She says, I'll, I'll be right back. I, I don't know if this is going to work. And she comes back a few seconds later after making some phone calls. She says, nope, you're not going to be able to get married. And we're like, why not? Because we had our orders of divorce, which the judge tells you on this date, effective, you are now divorced. 
However, you in Ontario, you have to apply for a certificate of divorce. Oh, oh no. Yep. So now, now, and, and when I checked right there on my phone, I'm checking and no, BC doesn't have this requirement. I went, I guess we're getting married in BC. So there we spent Niagara Falls the entire trip down, the entire trip back, having a great time. Got caught on the way back. Got caught, stuck because the highway was closed uh, west of Revelstoke. But we made it to Three Valley Gap. Have any of you been to that uh, that chalet there? The, the Which chalet is that? It's the, I forget the name of it now. Oh, yeah, that one. <laughs> no, 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 no. At Three Valley Gap. It's this side of Revelstoke. There's this, when you're traveling down the highway, there's this this place. It's a, like a resort. And it's got a ghost town. Yes. A, yeah, no, I, I know exactly you know what we're I'm, talking yeah, about. Yeah, you know the one yep. we're talking about. And okay, so do you have a it's name? It's gorgeous. Uh, I have no idea. <laughs> Well, is that like the baby? Just took my, like you, the just joke? Took, you just took my punchline away too, because she said it's gorgeous. So we got stuck in this place, and I mean, I'm, I'm, you know, what are we going to do? The highway's closed. We can't go back to Revelstoke. And the owner actually greeted us and said, "Well, would you like a room here?" Uh, the rooms weren't that bad a price, 130 a night off season. We got a beautiful room in this chalet, looking across the lake with the hotel wrapped around us and beautiful grounds outside. It was the most horrible experience of my life having to stay there, you know, when you're traveling and you get stuck like that. It was just horrible. Horrible <laughs> pictures I was taking, mountains on either side oh, of us with the gorgeous. waterfalls coming down. Oh, I didn't see any billy gorgeous. goats. That's they said suffering. sometimes you can see billy goats. And the games room in this place, they had a full-size person che- uh, checkers board with the checkers. <laughs> the checkers were about a foot and a half across. And you, you would pick these wooden checkers up and walk them around the board. It was kind of cool. Their, their games room, they, they had a pool that was done up in uh, uh, Titanic. I, I mean, uh, the place just, yeah, it was horrible. Absolutely horrible. I, was, I, I tell everybody, hey, you, you, want a nice, you want a nice place to go, go to, the, go to this place on this side of Revelstoke. And I'll, I'll, I'm going to have to find the name of it because... Yeah, oh, it sounds horrible. I'd do it in, a, do it in, a, in I'll, New York. I'll take, I'll take her there again just for... Excuse my language, shits and giggles. I mean, it was it was such a nice place to go. Like when when you're driving by it, you're like, oh, I want to go there. And you drive by it and you think it's some kind of cheesy tourist stop. And but like nobody goes there. And you completed your mission as uh, you accepted. Uh, You managed to find sweet Jesus ice cream. I didn't just find sweet Jesus ice cream. I ate. Sweet Jesus ice cream. Oh, that's brilliant. How was okay. Sweet Jesus ice cream? It was sweet. It Sweet Jesus, man. It was just. But that did was you bring really any good. back for the rest of us? No. 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 I ate it all. That's the horrible part of the trip. But the uh, the you guy. Know, we, did we sell the show if he was not bringing his back ice cream? He was we fired. We did. It's on the air. It's official. Yeah. You're fired, Scott. Oh. And immediately rehired. Okay. <laughs> immediately rehired. Okay. Been forgiven already. So so. It, you guys ever want to do a really nice trip travel across canada you can go through the states i hear it's beautiful in the states but travel across canada i feel safer in, traveling through canada take in the sights there is so much to see across this country and it's beautiful yeah absolutely you see the giant goose at walla walla yes <laughs> that's in uh that's in wawa wawa in Ontario. Walla, walla, walla. no no wawa walla walla is in australia man that's <laughs> Learn your it's a bit of a detour. It's a bit of a detour. <laughs> that would have been a that would have been a serious drive. No, in Wawa, Ontario, they got this giant goose. Well, actually, there's there's a giant goose on both sides of the road now, <laughs> and yeah, it's really cool. Like like forty feet high. <laughs> I'm just imagining. You know, here we have little goose poop. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that one will cover your entire car, not just a little spot in your windshield. It is actually called Three Valley Gap. 
Three Valley Gap. There it is. It's a, it's a resort. So I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to recommend people coming to BC, um, do, do the Three Valley Gap. I mean, you will not find a... It's, it's a strange resort. It reminds you kind of like uh, The Shining. Yeah, that, that's exactly what I it, thought. It gives I you the first. feel of the shining. I mean, it gives you the feel of that Overlook Hotel, mm-hmm. but it's it's just so cool. It's it's oh. this picturesque, beautiful place in the mountains, and yeah, and Niagara Falls. I mean, well, yeah, there's lots of water, lots <laughs> water falling over. It's a big splash. <laughs> Nothing was running there. Clifton Hill was pretty interesting because there weren't throngs and mobs of people. It's off season. It's cold, and I actually had to put my park on. When I got to Ontario, I had to put my park on. <laughs> All the way across the country, lightweight jacket in the blizzards, in the snowstorms. I got to Ontario and could not go without the parka. That's Canada for you. Yes, sir. Perfect. So there was my trip. I'm. I'm. I wish I could have taken you guys with me. I did take lots of pictures. So I can share with you later. Oh, okay. Thanks, God. Appreciate that. Doesn't that doesn't make Welcome up back. for the ice cream, but... No, but that's okay. You know what? I'm, I'm thinking maybe we should do a, a, a... Look, the guy was really nice at the kiosk. It was it was right at the base of Clifton Hill in Niagara Falls. Clifton Hill's their big... Kind of like their Vegas Strip, right? Yeah. And uh, right at the, 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 the base of the hill, there's a store there. You go in, and they've got a kiosk for Sweet Jesus ice cream. So I sent Kevin the picture. What happened was they weren't open yet. They weren't opening until 3 p.m., and the guy was kind of moving boxes around. And, and I asked him, I said, I said, uh, hey, can I take a picture of your kiosk? Because I'm with this podcast. We're atheists out west. And we heard about what's going on with the Christians kind of heckling you and, and uh, trying to shut you down. And he right away, he goes, let me turn the lights on. And he turned everything on, turned the menus on, got it all set up. People started coming up right away to buy ice cream because... They thought he Sweet was Jesus opening. ice cream. They thought he was open. He had to keep turning people away, and then he let me take the picture. And he's actually in the picture. And uh, I thanked him. Then he shut everything down. He says he's coming back later, and that's when I went back for ice cream. So it was really nice. The guy was explaining to me, yeah, they really the Christians are outdoing themselves with their <laughs> argumentative oh, so, uh, free advertising. That, that's the high point. Forget about the nice That's the high point. Oh, yeah, and, and, and you know, it makes me wonder. The idea was floated. It makes me wonder if we shouldn't be petitioning the uh, the the owner in Toronto to start a franchise here because obviously they're spreading out. I'll, I'll starting, write the check right now. You know, I'll write your check I mean, right now because it just yeah it, it was busy. It was busy. I went back and there was like six, eight people standing in line for this ice cream in April in the snow. Yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> so, snow. Scott, since you've already talked to this guy, this is what's going to happen here. Well, well I didn't talk to the owner. <laughs> <laughs> you already talked to this guy, so uh, your mission now, oh. sir, is to get us a short interview from this guy. Oh, wow. Set it up. So we'll have him. We'll bring him on the show. Just like five, ten minutes. It doesn't matter. Just to what, explain what he's been going through so we can explain this to the audience of the show. Yeah. Fair? Fair. Yep. There you go. Perfect. I will do my best. And I'm going to scout a place in Abbotsford to open up our first <laughs> I'm BC thinking, store. I'm, I'm thinking so there must be uh, two churches close together somewhere in Abbotsford. <laughs> yeah. I wonder where you could find that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> probably on every other street. Just throw an ice cream cone somewhere. <laughs> I'll land there. All right. In the meantime, let's keep on going here. Did you guys hear that uh, some archaeologists also found r- uh, remains of a Roman Empire temple in Egypt? Hmm. Yeah, that dates to the 2nd century. This was under Emperor Antonius Pius. This is near the uh, Siwa Oasis in w- the western desert of uh, Egypt. 
That's pretty cool. So yeah. apparently there was a way uh, Roman influence way further back than we expected. They they did Egypt. build to last, didn't they? Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, and if we got to quickly talk about the uh, Trump pulling out of the oh, Iran nuclear oh. deal. I swear that man is just trying to like murder us all. Yeah. Okay. Scott, you just pulled your mic there. You're an ex-military man. Uh, you know, I know you want to say something. You no, no. Trump's an idiot. It's like oh, he's trying to say how many course, buttons he can push. Then, of yeah, course, Iran... the biggest and best buttons. Yeah. Then Iran immediately started to lob uh, missiles over to rockets yeah, well, into Israel. And Israel promptly showed them what Israel could do. Exactly. <laughs> so Europe is under pressure now to salvage a deal, obviously. It's, it's not It's not going to be pretty yeah. going forward, is no. it? No. Which is interesting about this is it leaves international companies doing business in Iran vulnerable to being punished for doing business with Iran because like, of the United States. You mean, you mean companies like Boeing? Yeah. Yeah, big international <laughs> yeah. companies. I thought that was kind of a kick in the teeth to Boeing. So they tromp all over Canada in support of Boeing, but then for the Bombardier thing. But then they turn around and they tromp all over Boeing because Trump wants to push buttons on uh, on Iran. And it's just like, what are you doing? <laughs> yeah, it's like he doesn't know what, what the hell's going on sometimes. And uh, we get a letter from uh, our last uh, guest. So it's... I like that introduction. Please tell me you know where it's from. It's from uh, I don't. Blue's Clues. Yes. Hey, hey, you want to get sued? Shut up. <laughs> uh, sounded more like Fraggle Rock to me, but so, so this is from our last guest, uh, Jack uh, Wathi. Uh, it's John, but his friends call him Jack, and he signs off right. of Jack, so we're friends already. So he says, uh, "Many thanks for this, guys. I really enjoyed the interview. Yes, all great questions. Please extend my thanks to everyone in this group, except for Scott, who didn't show up. There, even though I <laughs> took my precious time to show up, and he couldn't even do so for fucking ice cream. Thanks a lot." I feel like that was ad lib. <laughs> that sounded ad lib. <laughs> it was, but he he sends us his thanks anyway for the for How the job nice. he did. Yes, that, nice guy. That's that's a really wonderful guest that takes the time. You know what? We have nothing but wonderful guests. Of all the guests we've had, I can think of. Of, I can't even count on, on one hand how many guests I would not invite back. Well, you know, actually, we probably would invite them back just because we didn't like them and we want to give them another chance. <laughs> we want to give them another Maybe chance. Maybe they were having an off day. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, and I, I, want, I want to quickly point out before we move on to your top ten there, Nancy. Um, remember when we did the uh, Soji 1, 2, 3? Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. And we met uh, Brad uh, Virks, actually Brad Dirks, but I call him yes. Virks because for me he's a Virk for some reason. Yeah, why is that? I don't know. He just feels like a Virk to me, not a Dirk. Uh, okay. Anyway. Well, at least, you, at least you're not calling him a jerk. I mean, that's <laughs> yeah. a, Brad Jerk. Hey, show, Brad. Yeah, the show's not over yet, Scott. <laughs> <laughs> you might be calling me a jerk by this point. Yeah, Brad's going to be calling in going, Kevin, you're a jerk. <laughs> <laughs> well, it turns out that uh, right here tomorrow in Abbotsford, at the Northview Church. <gasps> ah, my alma mater. I used to go there, everybody. <laughs> there there cool. is going to be a, quote, independent researcher. We all know what that means. <laughs> That's going to be telling the congregation about the evils of Soji 1, 2, 3. I'm going to go. <laughs> so Brad. Oh, I can't. I work. Brad and his uh, f- uh, friends from the BC Families for Inclusivity are going to be there to counter-protest. Good. Uh-huh. And I'll probably show up as well. I'm, I I'm, would, but I work. I forgot. I, I can about tell that. you, I am concerned. <laughs> I I was with 
my friend Randall yesterday. He, uh, yeah, tell the story he's, about he's that. He's religious. My friend Randall's religious, and uh, we were discussing uh, the fact uh, somebody at work has gone and announced that they are trans, and they'll be coming back to work. They've gone on vacation. They're coming back to work as a female. So, of course, throughout work, there's uh, there's been memos. There's been discussions with the supervisory about how we're going to handle this. Because, obviously, the person's feelings, uh, our job is to protect the integrity of, of how they feel. Okay? And, and it's important. And they don't want this to be stressful for that person coming back. They're going through enough stress having come out and, and made that change in their life. Now that they've accepted that change, we are going to try and make it as easy as possible for them at work. Work should not be a stressor for them. So I was discussing this with my friend and he, uh, he expressed his displeasure with the Soji program. And I said, what do you mean? And he said, well, my son has, has told me how they're, they're promoting, uh, children as young as 10 years old, going and getting uh, hormone shots and, and, and doing, you know, changing their, their sex. And I said, that's not what Soji's about. What are you going on about? Where did this come from? Because that's not in any of the curriculums. That's, that's, you know, I said, if, if that's the case, you should be reporting that teacher to the school board saying, what is going on here? That's not part of the, learn the curriculum and then apply it. Right. If, if, because I've read through all the curriculums and that is not what's going on. However, there is this misconception and I don't know if. His son was perpetuating a misconception. His son's seven years old or eight years old. Yeah. Okay. I don't know if his son's perpetuating the misconception or if he's just reading into it. And, and I've heard that. I've heard that a couple of times. Or is a teacher that, actually teaching this? And that worries me because then they're not following the program themselves. I can imagine that the teacher is teaching it. I'm just really curious as to what actually is going on when the kids go back and say they're promoting. Yeah, this is what they're telling you know, us. Becoming, and, you know, this, this, this is a seven-year-old here we're talking yeah. about. Um, so he well, heard something. Yeah. yeah, and I'm I'm almost positive that that's what it is. Is it's 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 the seven-year-old repeating things, not from the school, but from friends. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I think, exactly. I, I, I think yeah. you nailed it. It's interesting really when you look at like the actual science of transitioning, especially as a, a young adult, because there's you can't take hormones when before puberty. Because before no, you puberty, can't. you don't have we hormones. Did, we did an entire show. Like, you don't an entire show on that. Yeah. And medically, no doctor would ever allow <laughs> it. Like, the doctors uh-huh. would look at the parents so, and go, "Do you want to go to jail?" Yeah. Like, and 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 then when you, you know, hit puberty, you don't immediately take like estrogen or um, uh, whatever the other testosterone. One Thank you. You take a blocker. Yeah. Exactly. And, like, exactly. But but they're not going to give you. They're this. not going to give you a blocker, even. Without without taking you through a oh, full there, psychiatric there so, medical, there is so much. We, yeah, we, we you did, go through we, the whole suite of testing. Mm-hmm. And, we did a whole show and psychological on psychological testing. So and tell Randall to send a link to our show <laughs> to Randall yeah. and say, "Look, yeah. here's here's know, a biologist and here's that. a psychologist. Listen to them and stop listening because to these morons of culture guard." He is a pretty smart guy, and I I was just surprised to hear this come from him. Mm-hmm. But this is this is fear that spouts from ignorance, and most people are unaware. Fear is coming from the churches. Yeah. yeah. And groups well, let's, culture let, let's hope we can get Brad to come back and talk to us about the protest yeah. tomorrow. I know you will if you go. We, I'll, I'll, probably, I'll probably bring my little handheld recorder and maybe get a few That would clips. be really interesting. Yeah, be yeah. great. So like I say, I'm looking forward to this person coming back to work. Mm-hmm. I'm looking forward to actually just greeting them and, and in 
the way they want to be greeted. Exactly. To show that, you know, hey, we support you. You know, just to make him feel really, right. really uh, accepted. You, uh, oh. sorry, you should, to to make her feel really accepted, you should really sexually harass Did, her. Oh my no, god! No, 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 no! It's it's no. it's the trend, man. It's oh it's tradition. <laughs> well, did you did you know about? The, no, no. Uh, Apparently, uh, there was a couple of people that the person confided in, confided in, and uh-huh. talked to, and and that helped them make their decision. There was there was a couple of union officials and a couple of company officials that the person actually confided in, and and they supported that, them with it and said, "No, we'll support you one hundred percent." I mean, that's just but the, the fact that that she's coming back to a supportive environment. Yes. Oh, and and, and make no huge. bones about yeah, it. The company wonderful. the company made no bones about it when they described it. They said there will be no tolerance if there's anything said that hurts this person, or or anything done that hurts this person. It will be a zero tolerance policy. Period. And we I are, thought, wow. We are you know. so glad we're in Canada. No, yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah like, they, look at look at that. There's a there's there's companies in Canada that actually embrace this and say, wait a minute, this is a person we're talking about here. Their rights come first. Yeah. Right? You've got to protect them. And I thought, wow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Not we your are opinion, so lucky. Not your Canada. religion. Yeah. Not your God. Not your Bronze Age phony baloney shit. <laughs> Yeah. Persons mm-hmm. rights first. Persons hey, hey, rights Kevin, first. Yeah. Uh, yes. With mm-hmm. you going to the protest tomorrow, you might uh, meet some of my family. I have quite a few family that really? go to that church. Oh, <laughs> you have oh. a big enough family. I, I think I have one. Ask two, him to look out for the big burly guy on a Harley. I think I have two. They're really going to Two siblings and with the rainbow a jacket. Rainbow jacket with their family. You should get a rainbow leather jacket. A rainbow leather that jacket. That would be awesome. I don't know. I don't. I don't I'm sure Kevin, not. Kevin, or, do Kevin the Care Bear, or or, or, or just a leather jacket. Papa Bear is coming. Or just a leather jacket with like those tassel things that yeah. are rainbow. There we go. Yeah. They could be rainbow colored. Exactly. Oh yeah. I look fabulous so already. Like, when you're on a Harley, it's just like a oh, rainbow. Oh god. Behind oh, you. And, and let's get back on. You gotta, you gotta wear the sunglasses. You gotta wear the Elton John sunglasses yeah, to totally. go with that. Oh, Nancy. Yes, you, sir. It's your point. <laughs> well, get this back on the road. Actually, this. I mean, in, in honor of Scott's trip and the fact It's all about we, Scott today. And, yeah. and the fact that we live in Canada, the top 10, this week just happens to be the top 10 Canadian musicians. Yes, which, right on. You know, they, absolutely. We've got lot. lots of them, and narrowing it down to 10 wasn't easy because even Blue Rodeo didn't make, make the cut oh, to really? the top Blue 10. Oh, really? Blue Rodeo yeah. did not the top. Yeah. Wow. So anyway, at number 10, the Tragically Hip. That's number 10? Number 10. And wow. The, yeah, and the, the song I guess that they're most noted <laughs> for is New Orleans is Sinking. Yeah. We Stop agree on that one. So the Tragically Hip is the most beloved Canadian band, and they yeah. managed to sell out uh, arena concerts in Canada, the States, and uh, they, they don't have a lot of chart success sure. outside of Canada, but anybody that would like to, in, in our U.S. audience, try the Tragically Hip. They're great. <laughs> Number nine, Bare Naked Ladies. Yeah. Oh, of course. And their iconic song is... If I Had a Million Dollars. dollars. Yeah, one of the greatest songs. Probably the only song I'll actually attempt on karaoke. Yeah, they, their careers span more than 20 years, even though they, they hadn't been together. They did come back together. Was it beginning of this year or I'm end of last sure. year? That, no, was it at the, um, at the uh, not the Grammys... One of the awards, yeah. I think, they, they came back. Also, for our American audience, if you don't know who that band is, they're the band that does the jingle for the Big Bang Theory, the, the sitcom. 
That's yeah. right. Yeah, so. they are. They're great. They're wonderful. Number eight, Brian Adams. Yes, Yay. he's, he's his, the best. His uh, one of his iconic songs is Turn Your Mic, dear. Turn your mic with a duet with uh, Turn Your Microphone. Oh, um, it's only love, which is uh, a, which is a I good listen one. to so much of his so, music. <laughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> so actually, Brian Adams at number eight might be surprising. Let's see who's let's see who's next. Number seven, Sarah McLaughlin and mm, her favorite. Yeah. Her I didn't song, know she was Canadian. Angel. What? Yeah. How did you not know she was Canadian? I I honestly did not know she you was gotta Canadian. You got to give me back your Canadian card now. Yeah. Her yeah. album sales her album sales go about forty million <laughs> worldwide. So, and uh, then in 1996, she's created Lilith Fair which was the first and most famous all-female music festival. Mm -hmm. Number eight, talking about famous females, how about Anne Murray? Of course. Of course, and her snowboards. We go back a a ways with with Anne Murray. Anne Murray. I I, I called that one. Yeah, she sold 54 million records. Really? Yeah. Wow. And here's one that's really Canadian. It's going to be difficult for, I think, most people in the States to understand how much we love stomping. Yeah! I was really hoping that was what it was going to be. The hockey song is the best. <laughs> and, and, and what do you think? What do you think his. his the hockey song. Sudbury Saturday no. Night. Really? The hockey song. Yeah, will you agree best. with that or not? I, I don't know. Okay, he was voted the 13th greatest greatest Canadian, the fifth greatest living Canadian, and the top Canadian performing artist wow. by voters in the CBC. His music survey. is just so Canadian. Yeah, he really is. <laughs> Hence the hockey song. Yeah. Number four, Oscar Peterson. A lot of people don't realize Oscar Peterson, the pianist, really was, was Canadian. And one of his all-time f- favorite jazz um, renditions was "You Look Good to Me." Although I loved everything Oscar Peterson did, he was great. He performed with Count Basie, Ella Fitzgerald, Louis Armstrong, wow. Dizzy Gillespie, and, and Duke Ellington. So he had a fabulous following in. Uh, in the U.S., no doubt about that whatsoever. Okay, number three. How about Neil Young? Oh yeah, <laughs> definitely. If you've ever looked at his mm-hmm. album list, and what do you what do you think they they put down as his his? Uh, well, the one white, song the one song, song everybody knows Neil Young for is uh, "Heart of Gold." That's the one. There you go. Number two, Joni Mitchell. Really? Yeah, and they they put I'm, her favorite I'm, song is. Big yellow taxi. Oh but yeah, I, definitely. You think so? Yes. Okay. All right. Um, they're still making covers of that song, and it's about nature's losing war with Man, civilization, yeah. and it has a lot of references to pesticides, deforestation, and it's just as relevant today. I think maybe she maybe. It's actually a beautiful song. It's a, it came yeah, it's out a beautiful it really song. I think good, you know. Good, I would uh, think message. that there are a lot more that were popular favorites, but that's the one. Okay, everybody, who's number one? I have no idea. Celine Deal. Oh, you, you'll know the minute I say it. How about Leonard Cohen? Oh, really? Okay. Okay. Wow, okay. He's amazing. Yeah. I and he, love and the music. one that he's most famous for is... Hallelujah? Hallelujah. Yes! Exactly. I, I the love late that Leonard song. Cohen. I learned how to sing that song a cappella for my little brother. Yeah. That's how I sent him to sleep with Hallelujah. Yeah. <laughs> have a good dreams, child, to this horrible. Yeah. He's been traumatized yeah, they, Wait a minute, does a whole Celine Dion's not there? She should be on that list. She's for probably sure. number eleven. 
Uh, Rush? Yeah, if you want to put, we could put a thousand different groups on there because I was looking through Canadian, just, just rock music, never mind the other forms of music, just the rock music. There are so many bands, and then you look at the band name and you go, they're Canadian? They're, what? They're yeah. Canadian? Like, that is so cool. Wasn't CCR Canadian too? No. CCR is from uh, California. Oh, okay. We have so many. It's really, yeah. really tough. I mean, it's surprising. Brian Adams. I don't agree with the list. How come Brian Adams is not on that list? Brian Adams was on the yeah, list. Yeah, he was like number seven. Seven, yeah. What? Right. Did you, oh, did I mean? Yeah, yeah Brian Adams. And you know, the one, the one song that, that he was really, really famous for, Everything I Do, I Do For You, for the Robin Hood movie, Yeah. he didn't get credit for it. What? He sang it, but it was written by a British uh, uh, oh. okay. group. Like, the Brits wrote it. And they they needed a voice to put to the song for the movie, so they asked Brian Adams to do the single for it. Michael Bublé, there Michael we go. Tyler? Yeah, Wait, he's Canadian. I'm sure he's. he's Canadian. Canadian. I, they, I'm, I don't I'm sure really he's like a, Mike this Bublé. Was the, this know. was the. Um, the uh, They're fired. Yeah, well, so you know, this is just one list. That the problem is when you start looking at top ten lists, it's a group's idea, and whatever yeah. they look at, whatever stats they look at, or whatever popularity that particular group. Nancy, might be. you're so, a top ten ambassador. If you I'm can't get that list, <laughs> you're fired too. Oh, good. And rehired right away as well. Oh, oh, oh. Everybody's being fired. The guess, the guess who? I'm surprised the guess who didn't show up on that list anywhere. For, yeah. for all of our American right. listeners, if you want to feel Canadian. For like half an hour, just go listen to Stomp and Tom Connors. Yeah. Then, then you can fully understand being Canadian. <laughs> <laughs> to, to some extent, anyway. Yeah. Oh, right. Anyway, fun, fun list. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Thank you so much, Nancy, for this. Uh, perfect. All right, Kirsten, what are we doing? Another brilliant moment brought to you by religion. Let's get depressed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Couple of stories to make us laugh and be depressed. Because I need help with that. Laughter and depression at the same time. In a moment that will make us all cry, ew. Southern Baptist leader Paige Patterson is under fire after lusting after an underage girl oh, and then suggesting ew. that such ew. behavior ew. is quote a biblical uh, well technically Ew. it is but <laughs> it that doesn't mean it's good and yet another example of Slavery the depraved misogyny and immorality too. of the heart of the conservative Christianity Paige Patterson former president of the Southern Baptist Convention it's always a Baptist one reason no, and current president of the, <laughs> yeah Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary uh, argues that it's biblical for adult men to lust after underage girls. <sighs> you know, it's also biblical to lust after goats, too, right? <laughs> it's biblical to own slaves. It's biblical to, to kill murder people. Murder, yeah, to rocks. murder babies. In a recent undercover sermon, Paige uh, is caught joking about lusting after a very attractive co-ed he noted who wasn't more than about 16. Commenting on the underage girl, Patterson tells his large congregation, Mmm, let me just say she was nice. At least she was a uh, nine. Oh, I know. <laughs> the, the faces you guys are like, oh my God. <laughs> Anything that promotes the evangelical agenda is okay. They'll forgive anybody. Oh, I know. Anything. Regardless of, you know, if it's not in the Bible, they'll pretend it is and make it up. It's unbelievable. <laughs> Wasn't it a guy? Yeah, wait, that, oh, that was I, a good I keep one. thinking it back to that quote from a guy in BC who was being convicted of, I think it was a six year old or something. She Aww. was three, three years old when he molested her. Yeah. And he said, 
Well, what's a man supposed to do when a three-year-old comes on to him? Oh, yes, I remember that story. We remember that one. Walk away. And the judge actually found in his favor, saying the three-year-old was acting sexually Wait, aggressive. What? That's right. There are three. That was about three they years were, ago, wasn't it? Something oh, it was a lot of years ago, actually. That was. Yeah. That, that is ridiculous. In addition, in another recently released interview, the prominent Southern Baptist leader explains that, quote, women should never seek a divorce, not even if they're being beaten or abused by their husband. What an idiot. He tells women that uh, women being abused by their husband, that divorce is not an option well, and they should just stay and pray. He's probably abusing his wife, so he's like, oh, you have to stay. <laughs> because the Bible makes clear the way in which God views divorce. <laughs> so, hey, oh, he's beating you up. Stay and pray because of the power of prayer. <laughs> Some people. I, could say I can't something, find but that. I don't I'm sorry, think it would Kevin, be I can't find that. I can't find that funny. I find it absolutely disgusting. Oh, it's revolting. It is. I... I personally would like to go after these pricks and give them a taste of their well, own medicine. Well, some people are. In the, the Washington Post reports that more than 1,000 Southern Baptist women have signed an open letter to the trustees of the Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary that says they are grieved by the dangerous and unwise counsel that the group's president, Paige Patterson, has given by telling yeah. abused women not to divorce and are shocked by his comment that objectify teenage girls. Way to go. There we go. Good on well, those women. I think the women's, I the women's march and the Me Too movement is finally going to penetrate the uh, the evangelical, the, the darkest quarters of the yeah, the conservative exactly. uh, women. They're, they're finally going to realize they don't have to put up. I don't with ever it. recall hearing this stuff from earlier times. It's only in the last twenty years that you've heard these dim-witted pricks come out and actually speak openly about well, beating your women's just normal. That's part of the Bible. Well, maybe molesting children's part of the Bible. No, I think I think they would no, never have said think, that in the 1960s. No, I think they would have said it too. But the thing is, it wasn't reported like it is now. Holy crap! So no, it was it was kept. I mean, people were ashamed. Women were ashamed, you know, and they, they didn't talk about. It, but it's been going on. For oh, it's a been going long on, time. but you didn't hear about it openly in the news. Oh, and, open, and it, yeah. Now it's open in the news. These guys are actually feeling good about themselves for saying it and they get support that's what happens when you send women to school and they get educated yeah exactly that's the problem <coughs> here's another story uh. a saudi arabian speaking of dark corners man who renounced islam and made disparaging remarks about the prophet muhammad has been killed sentenced to death <laughs> this is the point where we're supposed Go to gasp her. in disbelief <sighs> Authorities became aware of uh, Ahmad al-Shamri in 2014 after he uploaded a series of videos reflecting his views on social media. Oh no, not videos! He was subsequently arrested on charge of atheism and blasphemy, faced trial and was sentenced to death in February 2015. Mm. Al-Shamri is reported in his early 20s and comes from the city of Haftar al-Batin, located in Saudi Arabia's eastern province. The defendant initially pleaded insanity, saying that he was under the influence of drugs or alcohol when he made the comments. Uh, Halad Doseri, an advisory board member of the Human Rights Watch, told the Washington Post. Uh, she added that uh, his trial focused heavily on Quranic law and little of any uh, mitigating mental illness. As a result, Al-Shamri has been sentenced to death for being an atheist. That's disgusting. Well, yep. So, uh, after a lengthy appeal process, uh, Saudi Arabia's Supreme Court ruled against Al-Shamri on, on the April 5th, uh, 25th. So, there we go. Mm, sad. The, uh, according to Amnesty International, the uh, 
Gulf oil giant carried out at least 154 executions in 2016. The country has been habitually criticized by human rights groups over the, its human rights record, but is still a member of the UN's Human Rights Council, and the term expires in 2019. That to me is outrageous. Yeah, I know, right? ridiculous yeah what what i i do have to ask and we understand freedom of speech here they do not have freedom of expression and freedom of speech in saudi arabia what was this guy thinking i know i was thinking the same thing i'm like but if you know what the consequences are for blasphemy you know you know what the consequences are for blasphemy why would you release videos like that well, we don't we don't know the full extent. Yeah, I know. Maybe the videos were anonymous. You know, it's not like we don't know all these details. <coughs> Sorry. And and as much as I think that it's it's admirable that he that he stuck to his beliefs, non beliefs, whatever you want to call it, I I have a real problem with look when in Rome, do as the Romans do. And and you know what? If everybody's praying to Allah five times a day, then kneel on your knees and. Pray to Allah five times a day. You don't have to believe what you're doing, but damn it, make it look good so you don't lose your head. Yeah. So uh, Saudi Arabia was ranked third by Amnesty International on the execution in 2016 behind China. Wow. And Iran. So I was, I was surprised by that. I didn't know that. Uh, apparently it was uh, 567 in Iran. Wow. Two figures are thought, th- thought to be significantly higher as the figure only cover the judicial use of the death penalty. Those sentenced to death are killed by beheading or shooting. Uh-huh. So let's hope there is... Off with his head. Something that happens to this poor guy before he faces the scimitar. Yeah. Uh-huh. Sorry, guys. Didn't mean to depress you with those news. Very depressing. You you, you meant it when you said it was depressing, didn't you? <laughs> Sorry about that. But it's the reality of the situation. The, right, sun, is, the sun is shining here in beautiful BC. Yes. Mm, the flowers are out. The flowers yes. are out. The birds are singing. Oh, thank you so much, guys. So let's take a quick break while we uh, gather some tissues and get back to being in a joyful mood. And we'll talk to Ethan Siegel about the Big Bang. I'm going to go home and drink now. <laughs> I was just thinking I'm about gonna drinking, I'm going to go play too. with the dog. <laughs> uh, stay with us. A Canadian, a New Yorker, and a Southern Belle walked into a podcast. And all hell broke loose. Seriously, though, what happens when we three ladies get together? Well, definitely a lot of talking. And accents. Funny accents. Well, I don't have an accent, but my co-hosts sure do. We mix North, South, and the Great White North together for two hours of pure secular discussion. Nothing is off-limits. From goofy religions like Scientology, woo like ghost hunting and alternative medicine, to hardcore history, hermeneutics, sex, and science, we cover it all. What the heck is a hermeneutic? Well, it's not a guy named Herman who sings falsetto, that's for sure. Join Beth, Ashley, and myself, Deborah, every Monday night at 9.30 p.m. Eastern, and we take you beyond the trailer park and bring the conversation to life. Join us live on YouTube and participate in the conversation via the Q&A system 
or catch us later on Spreaker, Stitcher, iTunes, and Nobex. Visit www.beyondthetrailerpark.com for links to the show and our upcoming schedule. Bring your wine and sweet tea and settle in for fun facts and free thinking. We happily wear the explicit tag, though, so make sure to wash out your mouth with something tasty before listening. That's live at 9.30 p.m. Eastern on YouTube. Come give us a like and a share, no matter what type of accent you have. And I think it should be religion treated with ridicule and hatred and contempt. And I claim that right. In the morning. Hi, everybody. This is Robert Stanley from the Right to Reason podcast. And if you subscribe now, you'll get free. Learn more about the broadcast at therighttoreason.com. will do good service by conscientiously expressing his conviction. For only thus can the load of prejudice by which this subject is overwhelmed be removed. So what you know about natural selection? Go ahead and ask a question and see where the answer gets you. Try being passive-aggressive and try smashing heads in and see which tactic brings your plans. Well, joining us online is our, who is becoming our favorite astrophysicist, is Ethan Siegel. He's got the best beard this side of the Mayan Riviera for sure. He's a snappy dresser and a snazzy dancer. Ethan, thank you so much for coming back to Left of the Valley. It's my pleasure to be back, Kevin. Thanks for having me. I, I think we're going to have a great discussion today. There's always so many interesting things to talk about related to the universe from the smallest scales up to the largest ones. Excellent, excellent. Uh, before we get into, uh, because we're going to be discussing the Big Bang, but I'm just going to do just a bit of homework before that. Ethan, you have a trip coming up to Iceland, and I thought you should give a couple of minutes to discuss uh, because you're setting this up, right? And Iceland or Aurora excursion. I am setting this up. Yeah, you want to talk a few minutes about that? Yeah, I think this is this is a tremendous opportunity. I'm so excited to be offering this. Uh, we are partnering. I am partnering with uh, a company called Astro Tours. What their goal is is to go to all these glorious locations on the world where the night sky itself is the star. And there are no, there are really very few places on Earth that are as good as Iceland is for scoping out the Aurora Borealis, for scoping out the Northern Lights. We have them in Australia too, we have the Southern Lights. But the key is if you want to observe them really good, you have to get close to the circle, either the Arctic or the Antarctic circle, because that's where these cosmic rays from the sun get funneled down into a ring around the magnetic poles. Mm -hmm. Now, Iceland is close to the Arctic Circle, and by going in January, we're ensuring that we're gonna get 16 to 18 hours of total darkness 
every night. So, yeah, the days are short. And during the days, we've got expeditions planned to all sorts of the glorious sites of the natural wonders of Iceland, from the Blue Lagoon to active volcanoes to hot springs. It's going to be fantastic. But at night, that's where the show really comes to life. We're going to be hunting for a Rory. And on January 21st of next year, we're actually going to be treated to a total lunar eclipse, which just happens to be at the sky when we'll be there. So you'll have access to me. There's a limit to about 40 people of who can come. And we've still got some seats open. If you want to sign up, uh, Kevin's going to put a link in the in the bottom to where you can go. But it's astrotours.co slash starts with a bang. Excellent, excellent. We absolutely will do that. Now, I guess you're hoping if this is going to happen during your trip, I'm, I'm, I'm assuming you're hoping for some kind of solar flare so you can really get a nice uh, uh, spectacle, right? I mean, you always hope for a really spectacular event. Just make it phenomenal, right? Because normally... Uh, Iceland is so far north and just a standard low-level display is going to get you those glorious, fast-moving, shimmering greens. I've only ever seen the Northern Lights myself once in person. And they were spectacular, but they were also because I was only at about 50 degrees north latitude. um, They were very low on the horizon and you can only see them in one direction. In a place like Iceland or any place that's that far north, you can often look straight up and see them just towering overhead. It will surprise you if you've seen these spectacular photos, how fast these auroral curtains move. And you're right, if we get a solar flare or a coronal mass ejection, we will possibly not just see those traditional greens, but also blues, reds, and maybe even that new purplish auroral phenomenon that they've recently discovered and named Steve. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> purple i haven't i i did not hear about this yes i heard about it well, what causes the color what causes the the, the 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 purple pigmentation there well all the aurorae are caused by different transitions in ions in the atmosphere so steve stands for strong thermal emission velocity enhancement and it's a thin purple ribbon and the reason that steve um is purple is because um you know what's happening is you get uh you get these transitions where you kick one electron off of a of a of like an oxygen atom becomes singly ionized oxygen. You kick two off, it becomes doubly ionized. The higher level of ionization you get, the more low low freak low wavelength high frequency transitions oh, you can course. you can accomplish so it's those transitions between the different levels of the atoms and molecules in the atmosphere that can give you the different colors so normally the strongest lines from are come from oxygen and that will give you the greens but between the hydrogen the nitrogen and ozone and other molecules in the atmosphere that's when you can start getting those rarer reds and blues and purples and while we're there we'll have a huge chance to talk about you know pretty much any astrophysics topic that we find interesting from the big bang to black holes 
Fantastic. Wicked. We'll put the link in the description of the show. Absolutely. Get your tickets. This is going to be a once in a lifetime event. Please go right ahead. Totally going to be worth it. Totally going to be worth it. Ethan, today we're, we're, I want to talk uh, briefly, well, not so briefly actually, about the Big Bang, because I think a lot of people, you know, they have a very vague idea what the Big Bang is, and I thought, hey, let's ask the expert. So, explain to us, the lame people, what the hell is the Big Bang? Okay, so let's let's start at the very beginning of how this story got started. Back in the 1920s. We did not know whether our Milky Way galaxy was the full entire universe or whether there were other galaxies in the universe. And I know you hear that today, almost 100 years later, and it sounds crazy, right? How could those glorious spirals in the night sky seem like anything else? But the fact is, we didn't know. In fact, the majority of astronomers out there argued that those spiral nebulae that they saw were actually new stars in the process of forming, where they thought that central region, that central bright, bulgy region was a um was a uh, was a star in the process of forming and all that spiral nebulosity outside of it was maybe where planets and things like that were forming the way that we discovered that they were outside of our galaxy came from two sets of observations one was from an astronomer named Vesto Sleifer and Sleifer what he did was he measured how quickly these objects are moving. When you get light through your telescope, um, you know, you can break it up into individual wavelengths and you can see things like hydrogen emission or absorption lines, right? Hydrogen's the most common element in the universe. So when you see these lines, they come at characteristic wavelengths and frequencies because this is what atoms do in quantum physics is they have these atomic transitions and these are universal. A hydrogen atom here and a hydrogen atom a billion light years away will have the same exact atomic transition. The laws of physics are the same everywhere in the universe. So what Sleefer measured is the hydrogen absorption and emission lines from these galaxies. He found that they were shifted. And the reason something could be shifted is because it was either moving towards us for a blue shift or away from us like a red shift. This is the same phenomenon as why a police siren or an ice cream truck sounds higher pitched when it comes towards you and sounds lower pitched when it moves away from you. We call this a Doppler mm -hmm. shift and that same shift happens for light on galactic scales. So you measure these speeds, you infer these speeds from the redshift and blue shift, and Sleefer found, wow, these things are moving fast. They're moving way faster than anything else we see in our galaxy, and they're moving so fast that maybe they're gravitationally unbound from the galaxy. Maybe they're moving fast because they've passed the escape velocity. But the second key observation came from an astronomer named Edwin Hubble. Right? This is the same Hubble that the Hubble Space Telescope is named after. What Hubble did was he was looking at these spiral objects and he was finding individual novae in them. Right, A nova is when a star flares up real bright and then fades away. And it takes like 
thousands of years to build up enough fuel to have a nova. So Hubble's looking at the great Andromeda Nebula. We now know it's the Andromeda Galaxy, but we didn't at the time. So he's looking in the great nebula in Andromeda, and he finds a nova, and he makes a line on his photographic plate and writes N. And he finds another one, and he makes another line, and he finds a third one, and he makes another line. And then, just a day and a half after he saw the first one, he saw a fourth one, and he saw a fourth one in the same exact spot he saw the first one. And he realized at that point it couldn't be a nova. It needed to be something else. And the only other thing that could flare up that bright and then disappear and then flare up so bright again was a variable star. We had known about Cepheid variable stars due to the work of Henrietta Leavitt. And so Hubble went and said, okay, this can't be a nova. So he crossed out the N and he busted out a red pen, crossed out the N and wrote in a moment of astronomer excitement, capital V, capital A, capital R, exclamation point. Because he realized it was a variable star and he realized that was a big deal. So what that meant was all of these spirals, because once you have that, once you know, hey, there's a star and it looks that bright. And if you know how this star works, and we did, I told you Henrietta Leavitt was the master for discovering these Cepheids and, mm -hmm. and calculating their properties. There's an astronomical law known as Leavitt's Law that allowed him to calculate the distance to this object. And that's that was the kicker. That was what cinched it. These things had to be far outside the galaxy. Instead of looking at distances of hundreds or thousands of light years, we were looking at a million light years or more. And for the other galaxies, Hubble went beyond that and said, I'm going to measure the distances and, and speeds, the recession speeds of all the spiral nebulae I can. And when he did, he found an incredible relation. He found that the farther away a galaxy was, the faster it appeared to recede from us. And that is what we know today as Hubble's Law. And this was revolutionary because it means, think about this, the farther away a galaxy is from you, the faster it appears to recede. Why is this? You know, when a lot of people hear the Big Bang, they think, oh, there must have been some sort sort of explosion. But in Einstein's theory of gravity, in general relativity, it isn't an explosion. Instead, it's this gradual expansion. So if you want to visualize it, how would you do it? I like to think of taking a ball of dough, of bread dough, mm -hmm. that's full of raisins. You're going to make this delicious raisin bread. And the raisins are randomly distributed throughout the dough. So what do you do? Let's bake this bread. So let's pretend we're in space. We're on the International Space Station in zero gravity. We've got an oven and we're going to put the bread in there and bake it in zero gravity. What's going to happen? Well, the bread's going to rise. It's going to rise and expand in all directions. I want you to imagine that space is like the bread dough. It's invisible bread dough. 
all you can see are the raisins, and the raisins are like galaxies. You are one of these raisins. You're in one of these raisins. We are in a galaxy. No matter which galaxy we're in, what we will see is all the other raisins, all the other galaxies will expand away from us. And the farther away a raisin is, the faster it will look like it's expanding. So in the idea of the Big Bang, what you can do is you can say, okay, well, things are getting farther and farther apart today because the universe is expanding. Mm -hmm. Okay, but that means in the past, if we look back to the past, things must have been closer together. And if you extrapolate all the way back, maybe you can bring everything back to a single arbitrarily dense point. That's the original idea of the Big Bang. Mm-hmm. Which is essentially was known as the singularity. Uh, you can extrapolate it back to a singularity, but you don't have to. Some people did, other people didn't. The big thing that was exciting and why we believe the Big Bang is correct is because there are all sorts of predictions that come out of it. Imagine, I want you to think about light for a minute. A photon of light, this is a single quantum of light, is defined by its wavelength. The wavelength of light tells you the energy of light. Right, The longer wavelength you have, the lower energy it is. That's why for like radio waves, you need a big antenna. But for something like um, for something like visible light, which is much shorter wavelength, your eyes and the molecules within it will do just fine. Hmm. Interesting, interesting. So if you go back in time, if the universe is stretching, if the universe is expanding, the wavelength of light expands and goes to lower and lower energies as we come forward in time. So in the past, the wavelength of light was shorter. It was higher in energy, which means if your light's higher in energy, then its temperature was higher and your universe was hotter. So if you go back in time far enough, maybe you'll come to a time where it was too hot to make neutral atoms because the light was hot enough to kick electrons off of atomic nuclei. And if that's true, then we should see this bath of radiation left over from the Big Bang from when it cooled to a point where you can produce stable neutral atoms. We found that radiation in 1964-65. Arno Penzias and Bob Wilson at Bell Labs, using the horn antenna in Holmdel, New Jersey, detected it. And they didn't believe it at first. They found this radiation and they were like, oh no, there's noise in our detector. So they tried calibrating it and they tried pointing it at different places in the sky and it was everywhere they looked and it was in all frequencies and it wouldn't go away. And they looked at the day and they looked at night and they looked towards the sun and they looked towards the Milky Way and they looked away from the Milky Way and they looked at the moon and no matter where they looked, it was still there. And they said, well, crap, maybe it's because 
because there's something wrong with the antenna. So they climbed into the horn of the horn antenna and they found birds living in there and they kicked the birds out and they mopped up the bird shit that was in there. And they went back inside and the noise was still there. And they went, oh, we don't know what this is. And, you know, they're a new antenna and they have visitors. And one of the visitors saw what they said and said, huh, you know, we just got a paper from this guy at Princeton who's predicting that there should be some sort of background radiation left over from the Big Bang. And here's the kind of experiment they're trying to build to look for it. And is that maybe what you saw? So these guys... Arno Penzias and Bob Wilson placed a phone call 30 miles away to Princeton, called up Bob Dickey. Bob Dickey was the head of the group. He was a former student of Einstein's. Wow. And Bob Dickey <laughs> picks up the phone and, uh-huh, uh-huh, hangs up the phone. Boys, we've been scooped. <laughs> That's awesome. And that is how we confirmed the Big Bang. Wow. <laughs> so, question. Question. Um, now I'm confused. Now you're confused? Now, so, that is so, not a question. No. But you uh, can try again. <laughs> the question I want to ask. So, what you've basically said is that all of the faraway objects we're seeing, the galaxies, the stars that we can see in those galaxies, billions of light years away, off in the the long distance that Hubble sees or, or other space telescopes that we're sending up, they were actually a different color than what we're seeing. That's the right. Coming so this is, this is kind of interesting, right? When we look through our telescopes and we're seeing a distant galaxy, that light looks redder than the stars we see nearby. Wow. And the reason it looks redder is because the wavelength of light when it gets emitted, it has, you know, the normal wavelength that a, a star will emit or a galaxy will emit. Yes. But as it travels through the universe and the universe expands, that wavelength stretches so it gets redder. When okay. we look all the way back at this leftover glow from the Big Bang, today we call it the cosmic microwave background because it's in microwave frequencies. But when it was emitted, it was visible light frequencies. It was about 3,000 degrees in temperature, the temperature of a red star. You could have seen it with your own eyes, and today you can't because it shifted from the visible through the infrared all the way into the microwave. We find it today at just 2.7 degrees Kelvin, 2.7 degrees above absolute zero because it's been stretched that severely by the expansion of the universe. So the light we see coming from these distant stars, coming from these distant galaxies is redder than any light we see in our universe today. The most distant galaxy we've ever discovered we found with the Hubble Space Telescope and what we found was it emitted 
ultraviolet light. It emitted this Lyman limit light, this Lyman series light. That's the light that transitions from the second energy level of hydrogen down to the first. We can't see that. We can only see the stuff that transitions down to the second. That's what emits the visible series of hydrogen light. That's the Balmer series. But the Lyman series is even higher energy. That light gets shifted through the visible into the infrared. And it's only because Hubble has an upgraded camera that can see this infrared light that we were able to detect it at all. This also tells us that we probably haven't reached the ultimate limit yet. The James Webb Space Telescope, which is going to fly in 2020 and has been optimized for looking in the near and mid-infrared should break the cosmic distance record within the first month of it being online. Hmm. Okay. That's pretty exciting. So a second question for you, now that I'm confused. <laughs> because, no, no, I, I understand am I, every, am I, everything am, you've said. Am I answers a, to questions just making you more perfect. confused? No, actually, it's, it's this whole business of the red shift that confuses me. Okay. If I'm looking at a light source... And space between the light source and myself is expanding. I shouldn't see that expansion because my sight should follow the curvature of space, should it not? So that's a really good question. I, I had to ask it from a technical is aspect. Space, right, is not a physical quantity that you can see. Space is just like space is like an accordion property it's like the fabric <laughs> well, of the universe like you don't see time I think of you space. don't see space it's it's the vacuum it's when I read transparent the, it's the definition yeah. of nothingness no 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 when i read the theory of relativity the general theory of relativity i kind of grasped it and realized there's no force of gravity space is like an accordion space actually compresses and and it can be compressed and it can be expanded in four dimensions of course which blows my mind anyway, but would That's I not true. be able That's to see that expansion? True. So for us to see the redshift, doesn't that defeat relativity? No, that's an intrinsic ah. part of relativity. Okay, Because what it says it. is, if you had only special relativity, if your space, if the fabric of your space didn't change, then that's what you would see, is ah. you would say, okay, this object in space emitted the light and the light has a particular wavelength and that light travels through space and arrives at your eyes and it arrives unchanged from how it was emitted okay so now let's say okay we've got this light and the light is traveling through space and you can't see it so what i want you to do is i want you to hold your hands so that they're facing each other, like you were gonna give yourself a high five with your right hand and your left hand, hold them about, uh, let's say, 10 centimeters apart and put them out at arm's length. And now, I want you to say, you're, this is the size of my photon's wavelength. Mm -hmm. And now it's in an expanding universe. So over the time that this light travels through the universe, so you can take your hands and you can move them, but now while they're moving, I want you to stretch space. I want you to expand the distance between your hands. As time goes on, you can see that the more time goes by and the longer it travels through space, 
the greater the distance between your hands are getting. And that means the wavelength of this light is stretching. Photons move at the speed of light. They don't experience time, but they do because they're moving at the speed of light. They do experience space. That's one of the tough things about relativity, yes. right? When you move through time and you move through space, there's a link between them. That link is the speed of light. The faster you move through space, the slower you move through time. Right. And the faster you move through time, the slower you move through space. I'm here sitting in my chair now. I'm completely stationary. All of my motion is through time. But if I had an identical twin and I sent that identical twin in a rocket and the identical twin moves super fast and they went away and they came back, they will have moved through space and therefore they will have moved less through time. So if my identical twin did that and came back to me, they would come back and be younger than I am because I will have aged more by virtue of not having moved through space. Well, these photons only move through space. They move right. through space exclusively. So as space stretches and expands, their wavelength has to stretch and expand. And that's why they come in at lower energies. That's fascinating. That is fascinating. Uh, a quick question, uh, Ethan. Uh, you were saying the uh, microwave background radiation is uh, only uh, visible in microwave uh, wavelength at this point. The, am I correct to say that this implies that in the near future, we won't be able to see that evidence, quote-unquote, of the Big Bang? Well, it'll change, right? Because the universe is continuing to expand. So if you waited long enough, we wouldn't have a cosmic microwave background anymore. We would have a cosmic radio background because oh. it would shift even farther into the red. And it would go as we waited longer right. and longer and longer to longer and longer and longer wavelengths. So you might first be able to pick it up on um, – you might first be able to pick it up on like AM radio and then FM radio and then you'd have to go right so it would it would change as the frequency goes uh, as the wavelength gets longer and longer and longer over time then the frequency gets uh, lower lower or higher lower. oh gosh lower. I'm a radio guy it gets lower so you'd be Thank able to pick you. it up with so cell phones. Have, right you now, have to we go can, to lower frequencies for longer wavelengths. Yeah, right now we can pick it up with cell phone gear, radar. Um, what's what's eventually a lot of it'll be fun. FM, right? Here's a fun little fact for people my age and older. If you're under forty, you won't get it. Um, when you turn your old rabbit ears television <laughs> to channel three, and you see all that snow, wicked. About 1% of that snow is the cosmic microwave background. That's if you cool. took a rabbit ear television to intergalactic space away from the sun and the earth and the solar system and the galaxy, you would still see snow on channel three. And that's from the cosmic microwave background. That's very cool. cool. That is very, very cool. Uh, Kirsten, rabbit ears is when they had these little antennas. <laughs> She's looking at me. He's like, I'm going to kill you. <laughs> Kill him! Kill him! He deserves it for the condescension! <laughs> well, she's very young, so you have to explain these things to her. Uh, 
Ooh, Ethan. TVs. <laughs> you're, you're building up a list here, Kevin. I, I want to go. <laughs> quick, 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 yeah, quick question. I want to go back to our our um, our dough, our raisin bread dough there for half a second because I think that's, that's a great uh, that's a great image. Um, I like your expansion in your space oven is due to heat, right? In your space oven, your expansion is due to the yeast eating the sugars in the dough, and that's that's what's causing it, right? So, so, you so heat energy is not behind what makes the, the, the universe expand, is what you're saying? Heat energy is neither behind what makes the universe or your bread expand. Oh, okay. All right. Um, so, and you can test this by leaving your bread dough in a loaf pan as long as you've got the active yeast in there and watching the bread dough spill out over the end when you forget to deal with it. Yeah. <laughs> now, Christian, bread dough is... <laughs> just kidding. Ooh, that just got added to the list. I could see the look. You're missing it, Ethan. Okay. Um, okay, so now that back to my question. Wouldn't the raisins be getting bigger too? Because space is expanding. So that's that's why I used raisins as an analogy. So let's let me let me first ask the answer the question that Kevin just almost asked. Okay. Because the question he almost asked was what makes the universe expand? Yes. He almost asked it. He was like, well, it's not heat, right? And it's not heat. (laughs) What makes the universe expand is there is a balance. And this balance is given by general relativity itself. If you say, hey, I have general relativity governing the laws of my universe, you say, great. What's the solution to general relativity that describes the universe? And you say, well, the universe is full of matter. And on the largest scales, it averages out so that the matter and the energy on on the largest scales is the same everywhere. Yes, we have stars and planets and galaxies and clusters of galaxies and big cosmic voids. But if I look at the universe on scales of like, you know, uh, a billion light years on a side – And I say, like, let me put down a box that's a billion light years on a side. No matter where I put that down, the universe has the same average density. The universe appears to be the same everywhere in space and in all directions. Mathematically, we call those words isotropic and homogeneous. Isotropic means the same in all directions. Homogeneous means the same in all locations. So if you say, okay, Einstein's equations... I want you to be isotropic and homogeneous. What does the universe do? Well, you get some equations out of it. This was actually discovered, these equations were discovered by a Soviet physicist named Alexander Friedman in 1922. This is before Hubble not only discovered the expanding universe, but before he even discovered that galaxies existed outside of the Milky Way. Friedman was that fast on it. And what Friedman derived was two equations known as the Friedman equations. And the first one, the first Friedman equation relates the expansion rate of the universe on one side to the matter and energy density of all the different things present in the universe. So 
the matter density and the radiation density. And if you have dark matter or dark energy or neutrinos or spatial curvature or anything else is all on the other side. These two sides have to balance. So what determines the expansion rate of your universe? It's a combination and the sum total of all the different things in it that make it up of all the different sources of matter and energy in it. Hmm. That is very cool. Yeah, yeah, it is. Uh, so, so this is why it's so important to say, okay, how's the universe going to expand? Well, all I need to do is measure what's in it. If I can measure dark energy and dark matter and normal matter and radiation and everything else, then I can predict how did the universe expand in the past and how will the universe expand in the future? And we can do that and we know the answer. So now... Let's go to your question about why don't the raisins expand? Why don't the individual galaxies expand? And the answer is the universe on the largest scales is homogeneous and isotropic. But on smaller scales, it isn't. On smaller scales, the universe is very clumpy. If I were to calculate the average density of the universe, I would get a number that's the equivalent of a few protons per cubic meter. If I were to look at the density of a human being, we're about 10 to the 30 times denser than the average density in the universe. We are not isotropic and homogeneous. We are a what I will call a cosmological perturbation. We are we are a departure from the average. That's what the galaxies are. The galaxies are locations where there was a matter over density and it drew more and more matter to it and it overcame the expansion of the universe. So the individual galaxies are dominated by a different type of solution to Einstein's equations. They're not dominated by the expanding universe. It's only the space between unbound galaxies mm. that are dominated by the expansion of the universe. So for us, Earth is not expanding. The atoms in our bodies aren't expanding. The solar system, the galaxy, even the local group of galaxies, including Andromeda and Triangulum and about 60 other dwarf galaxies, are not expanding away from each other. But outside of the local group, all the other galaxies and groups are expanding away from us. Wow. I don't think I've ever been so happy and pleased to be called dense. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. Be happy that you're denser than average. Yeah, yeah a lot of people can vouch for I'm that there. one. I'm there. <laughs> Ethan, uh, can you can, can you put a few uh, myth to rest, maybe? Um, the first one to postulate the uh, entire Big Bang, was it really George Lemaitre? It was. So the thing is, um, you know, I told you about Friedman and mm. Friedman didn't say Big Bang or anything like that. Hubble wrote about, you know, these galaxy, this first galaxy in 1923. Friedman was 1922. People had explored different solutions to Einstein's equations, but only math as a mathematical curiosity in 1927. 
two years before Hubble published his full suite of like, here are all my galaxies and here's this, George Lemaitre put together, based on the available data at the time, he put together this whole picture of, hey, if you have these galaxies with these redshifts and these distance measurements, then you can put this stuff together and you would get this whole scenario of an expanding universe that if you go back in time was smaller and hotter and denser. So Lemaitre, what did he do? He said, I have an idea and he called it either the cosmic egg or the primeval atom and imagined extrapolating this all the way back to when you can have you know, a super hot, dense, expanding state. And then it evolves into the universe we have today over time through this process of expansion. Mm-hmm. And Lemaitre published this in a very obscure journal. He wrote a letter to Einstein and Einstein told him, your math is correct, but your physics is atrocious. <laughs> and Lemaitre just kind of let it die in obscurity. And then a few years later, Hubble publishes his stuff and get all gets all the credit. And Lemaitre was such a humble guy that when people pointed out like, hey, didn't you do this first? And he was like... I cannot take anything away from Hubble and what he's accomplished. His work is top-notch, his data is better than mine, and his conclusions are the ones we should follow. Mm-hmm. So in honor of Friedman, who came out with the equations first, we call these the Friedman equations, and Lemaitre, we can say, is the... Uh, is the first person to conceive of the Big Bang, but really the first person to put this all together and say, hey, if this occurred, what are the observable consequences for this? What about the formation of large-scale structure in the universe? What about the existence of the cosmic microwave background? What about the fact that if you extrapolate back even further than the cosmic microwave background, at some point it was too hot to make atomic nuclei that they would be blasted apart? And then when it cools that you can make atomic nuclei, you should start forming deuterium and tritium and helium-3 and helium-4 and lithium and you should start building the lightest elements on the periodic table. The person who calculated all of that didn't come along until the 1940s and that was George Gamow. And Gamow is who we usually say was the father of the Big Bang, not because other people before didn't make tremendous contributions, but because Gamow was the first one to make these predictions that we could go out and look for to confirm or refute. So that's who I would say is the father of the Big Bang, is George Gamow. An interesting fact, Gamow was Friedman's student. <laughs> well, that's very cool. cool. That is very, very cool. Well, come on, Ethan. I'll have to play devil's advocate for half a minute here. Come on. Do you really expect us to believe that first there was nothing and then it exploded? Come on. Seriously? Oh, that sounds like a... Uh, hmm. Like a- that sounds like something I read on a creationist website <laughs> that seemed to troll mine. In the beginning, there was nothing, and then it exploded. Yeah, come on. You don't expect us to believe that, do you? Well, if I phrased it like that, I sure wouldn't. <laughs> um, 
I think the way I like to say it, because just just so we're all clear, and there's this is probably too much detail for us to get into, as we understand it today, the Big Bang isn't even the very beginning of the universe. We you said earlier that you want to extrapolate all the way back to a singularity mm-hmm. and the universe as we observe it tells us that we can't do that there's a cutoff to that and there was a phase of the universe that existed before the hot big bang it's a phase called cosmic inflation and I would love to tell you that there's this brilliant book called Before the Big Bang out that you should all read. But I can't tell you that because I'm only on chapter six and I'm writing. (laughs) (laughs) So this will be my third book and it will be finished later this year, which means it should come out next year. Um, But in the meantime, what I can do for you, Kevin, is I can give you a link to an article I wrote that explains why the Big Bang is still correct, but it doesn't give you the whole universe, and it wasn't the very beginning of everything. So I will give you a link to that article um, at the conclusion of this podcast, and you can post it with your... Post it in the show notes. Wow, that's yes. fascinating. So this is like really, really cutting edge uh, where the, the, the field is right now, what you're proposing here, your, your article. I wouldn't dream of giving you anything less. <laughs> Fantastic! Oh, cool! I, th- I think we got a pretty good, co- a pretty good grasp of what the Big Bang is, right? This is pretty cool, e- Ethan. Uh, you know, if I can just do a little detour here, I if you, if you don't mind, I'd like to ask you a few questions about the infamous double slit experiment. Sure, this is very switching gears, but let's do it. Yeah. Infamous. Yeah, yeah, infamous because a lot of people have a tendency to, 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 to talk about it, and I've been into a lot of debates. Um, the first time I ever heard of this experiment was about this uh, this awful little movie called uh, What the Bleep Do We Know? And oh, that is an awful movie. I did see it. Yes. I, I saw it at the recommendation of one of my friends, and after I saw this, I was like, so, so – what did you think of this movie? Well, I think... And it, my friend was like, I don't even know, man. I don't even know. I think, I I think like, half this movie's you, got great science. Why did you science. tell me to see this? Well, I um, think half this movie's got great science, but the other half is just, like, way out there. Well, there's, uh... I mean, this is the problem with, uh... This is the problem of what you get when you mix science and nonsense together Mm -hmm. is that what do you come away with do you understand the science that's correct better or has the nonsense that you've been listening to and paying attention to polluted your understanding and what you emerge with is something where you know even less because you know the opposite of knowledge right there's this myth I think that the opposite of knowledge is ignorance and it's not the opposite of knowledge is mis information that poses as knowledge. The opposite of knowledge is false knowledge. Mm. Ethan, how far did you make it into that movie before you shut it off? No, I watched the whole thing. Are you serious? I couldn't make it past five minutes. Really? I got five minutes. My cousin tried to get me to watch it. I watched five minutes of it, put it away, never thought about it again. I watched a five-hour version. Well, are you in, uh, are you, you're in, you're in British Columbia, aren't you? Uh Yep. Well, um, you know, there is, uh, for your listeners who are not in 
places where this is legal, you should just cover your ears. But uh, there's a small green plant that can help you get through this movie that I'll be happy to tell you about at some point. Oh, I, I know. I just can't do it. I can't lower myself to that level. Okay. 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 So uh, anyway, in this movie... It, it, the the they go they try to explain as best they can that double slit experiment. Uh, maybe maybe you could give us a brief explanation as to what it was to begin with. Maybe it'll help people that didn't didn't see the movie or don't know what the experiment is. Well, let me let me go back to the very beginning. So in the late 1700s, this scientist named Thomas Young uh, has light waves, and he says, "Okay, here's what I'm going to do: is I'm going to shoot light waves at this screen, and it's going to be like completely black, completely blank. No light's going to pass through it. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to put a thin little slit." in this screen and then next to that slit very close to it i'm going to put another tiny slit parallel to it so we have these two slits very close together so the light can get through that and i'll put a big screen behind that and i'm going to look and see what sort of pattern emerges on that and you would imagine if it was just a beam of light going through these two slits that you'd get these two blobs of light on the other side of the screen, mm-hmm. right? That you get one blob for one slit and one blob for the other slit, and that would be that. But you don't. Light acts like a wave and interferes with itself. So what you get, and you can really see this if you use coherent light, like laser light, and you shine it through this double slit, you will get what's called an interference pattern, where at the center, you get a bright peak, and then Next to the center on either side, you get a dark spot. And then next to that, farther out, you get another peak and another dark spot and another peak and another dark spot and so on until it fades away. And the reason for this is that light acts like a wave. You get constructive interference where you see the bright spots and destructive interference where you see the dark spots. And so people say, yeah, okay, light's a wave. That's fine. And then Einstein comes along and Max Planck comes along in the early 20th century and we start to discover, you know, light actually seems to act like a particle also. It doesn't necessarily act like a wave. And if light acts like both a wave and a particle, then maybe things like electrons, which are particles, can also act like waves. So you start taking electrons and shooting them at double slits. Mm -hmm. And sure enough, you look on the other side at your electrons and you say, oh, no, look at that. I get electrons in the center and then no electrons farther out and then more electrons farther out and then no electrons farther out. You see that same interference pattern for matter as you did for light. And then you say, well, that's really weird. Okay, these electrons must be interfering with each other. I'm going to trick them. I'm going to send these electrons through one at a time. Mm -hmm. So you shoot one electron and you record it on the screen and you shoot another electron and you record it. So you shoot these electrons through the screen one at a time and you get one on the screen and you get a second one and you get a third one and you build them up and you get 100 and you get 10,000 and you get a million and lo and behold, you still get an interference pattern. Somehow, each electron is interfering with itself. 
the electrons themselves, each individual electron is acting like a wave. And you're like, wow, this is getting really weird now. And so what do you do? You say, okay, I don't know, I don't know what I can do about this. I'm going to, uh, I'm going to go look at this and I'm going to say, okay, what I want to do now is I'm going to set up a little detector around each of these slits. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to say, which slit is this electron going through? Is it going through slit one or is it going through slit two? And so the electron passes through slit one and it makes a spot on the screen and it passes. You shoot another one and it also goes through slit one and makes a thing on the screen. And it next one goes through slit two and so on. Right. So electrons go through slit one or go through slit two and you measure. And now you do this for a million electrons. You look at the screen. What happens? There's not an interference pattern anymore. You got a big bump for the ones that went through slit one and a big bump for the one that went through slit two. Yes. And that's it. And so it turns out if you make an observation, if you do what we call collapsing the wave function, right, normally what happens is all of these quantum possibilities are allowed probabilistically. The electron could pass through slit one or slit two, or it can go part through slit one and part through slit two and interfere with itself. But if you measure it, it can't do that. It has to go through slit one or it has to go through slit two. And if that's what you do, then you don't get the interference pattern. So the weirdness of the double slit experiment is that matter and radiation both act like particles and act like waves. But if you observe which slit they go through, which means if you interact with them, if you cause an interaction with them, you destroy this quantum interference pattern. Yes. Yeah. And this, this is where the argument comes in. Because then people are postulating that the fact that you have a conscious observer has an, an effect on the experiment. And while other people are saying, no, it's the act of the measurement itself that creates that effect. So you can do the experiment, right? You can do the experiment and say, uh, let's just have a computer make these observations. Yes. And we'll see what information appears on the screen. And so you take the human element out of it and you have a machine just track slit one, slit two, slit one, slit two. It turns out that just by having those high energy photons that can interact with the electrons that tell you which slit it went through, mm -hmm. that destroys the interference pattern. So you don't need a human to do it. You don't need a conscious observer. You just need the interaction to do it. But it's only because we did the experiment and we asked these questions that we know the answer to it. This puzzles and troubles a lot of people and a lot of people spend their lives looking for an explanation. Yes. Which slit did it really go through? That's the wrong question to ask. The right question to ask is, hey, this this weird, unintuitive thing, this is what the universe does. That 
interference pattern you get, that's what's real. Mm -hmm. That's what the laws of nature are telling us. Mm -hmm. It's our intuition that we live on this macroscopic scale where we think of things as either waves or particles because we don't have an intuitive understanding of how the quantum world works. That's what's getting in our way. I think the big key, if we want to start understanding this, is we have to learn to accept the unintuitive reality of quantum physics for what it is and not try and put a human interpretation, an intuitive interpretation on top of it. That's where I think we run into trouble. The double slit experiment is il illustrative of how the universe actually works. Mm -hmm. Our preconceptions of how it ought to work are what get in our way of actually understanding it. Yes, I think that's very well said. I also think it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a cautious tale to say just because you don't understand something right away doesn't mean you can stick your god in there like a well-lubed dildo, you know? Well, that's, uh, that's, that sounded uh, like that's a, porn a bit movie. abrupt, but uh, <laughs> sure. Uh, Ethan, thank you so much for all this today. I think we've learned a lot about all this today. I don't know about you guys, but I feel smart all of a sudden. Uh, oh, I feel like a turnip, but... <laughs> But Ethan, uh, the, the mic is all yours, my friend. If people want to find out more about you and your books and all that, where can they find you? Well, uh, you can look for me on uh, Twitter. I'm at Starts With a Bang. You can find me on Facebook. I run the Starts With a Bang page. I'm on Google Plus as Ethan Siegel. I'm on Tumblr at Starts With a Bang. And you can find my blog, Starts With a Bang, on Forbes. I've got new articles going up there six days a week. I've also got a Patreon where you can support me and get early access to a whole bunch of things I create. Um, and I can send you a link to that as well to put absolutely, in the show notes. Absolutely. Uh, but most most importantly right now, you asked about the books. I've got two of them that are written. One of them is called Beyond the Galaxy. It's the cosmic story of what we know and how we know it in plain English with beautiful illustrations and no equations. And the other one is <laughs> called Trechnology. It's about the real-life science behind all the technologies featured on Star Trek and where we are in making progress on bringing them to reality. So those books are available wherever they're sold, including up on Amazon. And uh, if I ever see you in person, I'll be more than happy to autograph it for you. That's a deal, oh, Ethan. Wow. Thank you so much, buddy. I really appreciate that. But before I let you go, again, I have you say, Hi, I'm Ethan Siegel, and I took a left at the valley. Hi, I'm Ethan Siegel, and I took a left at the valley, and I loved it. And <laughs> <laughs> hey, that was our friend, Ethan Siegel. I love how infectious this guy is when he talks about science. Yes, I, I just, I love listening to him talk about, like... Yeah, he, just, he's, I don't know, he's got that, that tone of, you know... He's your best friend, and he's very smart, and he teaches you all that stuff. It makes you want to just keep listening and listening yes. and listening. Chain him to the floor so we can't leave, guys. <laughs> <laughs> and if you want, of course, I really highly encourage you guys to look up that uh, trip to Iceland. Oh, where he's going to be your personal guide to talk about the or uh, the uh, Northern Lights. I just want to look up his books. Yeah, well, yeah, absolutely. You can find these fine books everywhere. So. And especially with that eclipse that they're supposed to have. Yes, yes. It's going to be absolutely perfect. So that's, it's going to be an amazing time. I hope you guys can make it. I'd love to make it for myself, for sure. 
Well, thank you so much, guys, for joining me on the show today. Scott, thanks for coming back. I will get that. I got that sweet Jesus spoon for you, so. <laughs> Fantastic. I got to get that to you. <laughs> you can follow us on uh, leftofthevalley.com, on Facebook, on uh, Twitter, at LATV Podcast. Give us a five-star review. It really helps the show. It helps other people find the show. You can send us an email, left at valley at outlook.com. If you need something pimped out, send your memo to Christina. Woohoo! Yeah, and, and if you'd like to be an investor in the Sweet Left Jesus. of the Valley Sweet Jesus ice cream store. Left of the Valley Sweet Jesus ice cream store. I love it. I love it. God damn it. I, I think I'm going to go out and get send, some investors. Send the checks. Send the checks. Out of, you know, for any amount, we accept any amount. Just send them right to Kevin. <laughs> Coming up. Next week, we'll be talking to Dr. Michael Moore. I'm about, looking forward to that one. Yes, about children and autism. There it is. Don't take vaccines. Don't, no. That was a joke, guys. And at the end of the month, joke. of course, our old friend Del Ray comes back, and we're going to be talking to him about why people cheat. Uh-huh. I'm excited for that one. Yes. Just be yeah. polyamorous, and then you're set. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> at the beginning of June, will be our old friend Arn Raw. His rawness comes back to the I'm valley. So excited to finally be Always here for welcome. an interview with Arn Raw. You weren't there for the last one, weren't no. you? No. Oh, there we go. There we go. Well, we'll let you conduct the interview then. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> Her face just changed. Oh, he's he's easy. You just oh, start yes. out with a question. I'm and trying to he figure out a new job it. right yeah. now. <laughs> <laughs> and when we also towards the end of June we'll have the velvety voice of Seth Andrews comes mm-hmm. back and he's going to explain to us 10 years of the thinking atheist what has changed since well, that's going to be pretty damn cool I know pretty soon we'll have our 10th no, we're not there. Oh, another six years. We've been <laughs> we've been limping for four years now. So, but you didn't have me for the first three. Yeah, that's true. That's true. <laughs> there was no magic of Harry Potter with us. No, or me. So far, I think I'm the only one that hasn't been fired and rehired yet. <laughs> Wait, when, when was I fired and rehired? You You're weren't fired. here. <gasps> you fired me when I wasn't even here. That's just me. That's brilliant. <laughs> oh. Anything else we need to add, guys? We're pretty much done? Ah. All right. Thank you so much. Uh, Of course. (laughs) Or fan fiction. (sighs) Fan fiction's great. You read some Harry Potter fan fiction. You don't read so much that you forget what the actual storyline is. Yeah, I'm at that point now. (laughs) (laughs) This show has been all over the place again. But you love us, Kevin. This is what happens when we all get together again. (laughs) Party! Thank you, guys. Until next time. Teaching them to respect them, back them, fuck that. The system is broke down, working backwards in the only action of tactic. I plan to practice now is to attack them. The parties of God's hands are bloodstained. Millions of murders by believers, and they're all in God's name. And let me take a sec, don't mean it sounds so hateful, but I swear to God, unintended, I find it disgraceful. That many atheists are told to be quiet, you're not alone. Speak your mind, time to let it be. A non-believer, an infidel, a heathen, I call it how I see it I say it's ignorance and you just call it faith And unsubstantiated claims, that's something to be ashamed I'm an atheist, atheist, atheist I'm an atheist